This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital India Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, I'm registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products, and the views of our guests are their own, and not those of Wisdom Tree or its affiliates. Professor, what a week to have a show here. We're going to have you for the hour. We're going to have uh, Brian Westbury from First Trust, chief economist there, on with us in the first half, and then talking with one of the pollsters in the second half. I know you've been focused on the election and, and your calls for the election. I saw you on CNBC thinking about yeah. how you're reading it, but uh, let's let's start with your take. Yeah, well, and I was on CNBC uh, uh, early uh, Wednesday morning, and I said I, I said this, this uh, you know, that that Biden would win, and I, I was very sure of that even even back then, and uh, you know that it's a slam dunk now, uh, so we can call that. I, I did call also the Senate, and that's a little bit not quite as. Certain as it once now, because unfortunately Purdue couldn't cross the finish line; it has to go up against it. But the only way that the GOP loses the Senate is if they lose both elections in on January fifth. And you can bet about your bottom dollar there's going to be uh, you know tens of millions of dollars thrown by both the Dems and the Republicans. There, my feeling is the Republicans only need to elect one. Uh, and they're going to do that. Um, right now, I think the, uh, yeah, in fact, on, on predicted.org, it's 78% that, uh, that the GOP has the Senate. I mean, that, that, this is, uh, this, g- given what could have happened, this is an excellent scenario for the market. I, I think that's one reason the market rallied. I mean, you know, you have a Biden president, but you have the Senate staying in GOP hands, stops any radical measure, stops the tax increase. Wow, what could be better than that? Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, and, and 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 as I pointed out on on uh, on Wednesday morning, I mean, you know, Biden is known to go across the aisle. I think uh, Mitch McConnell will have a easier time negotiating uh, with uh, Joe Biden than he would uh, Donald Trump in in many ways. So, and and and, and I, I think that things can get done, but they're going to get done in a way that is bipartisan. Well, one remembers there's a lot of bipartisan. I mean, you, you 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 talk about the fact they both wanted a stimulus bill, you know, and both wanted eighty. You know, I mean, eighty percent, seventy percent was was basically the same. They both wanted that. They both wanted infrastructure. Um, but you know, before an election, you know, they were all posturing to try to gain advantage. We could, you know, you, you could debate whether Pelosi did the right or wrong thing by, you know, um, you know, you know, not moving on the stimulus, but that's history. Um, uh, and we could talk, I mean, we can talk about, you know, we could talk as we will uh, about the consequences are. Uh, I think uh, I just heard that they are going to consider a stimulus bill. Um um, you know, uh, Pelosi doesn't have to posture anymore. Um, uh, you know, you know, since, uh, although again, you, you know, in a way, if you think about it, if she says, oh, let me hold out hope that, you know, against hope, but if I do take the Senate, I don't have to compromise. So <laughs> you could say there's not going to be a compromise bill in, in this rump, uh, session, maybe a narrow one, uh, if that. Uh, holding out for the uh, you know the whole pie, uh, if if uh, if that eventuality comes to uh, uh, to pass. Anyways, this is 
this is basically uh, you know given the fears just about the you know just about the you know best thing that could happen um, to the market. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the employment report. The employment report is um, uh, you know is is, is really excellent. Uh, today, I'm trying to get that up at the present time, um, uh, and uh, I don't, but I do. I think I, I think I do remember it here. I do have it up over here on my screen. So let me just talk about the employment report. Yeah, this this was a really good report. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, the change in non-farm payroll came in six, sixty thousand above, but the change in the private payroll. Came in three hundred twenty thousand above, and the household numbers looked really good. I mean, the unemployment it really shocked me. I'm going right down to six nine percent. Now that's really too high, but that's still really good. The work week was um, up a, a tenth. Uh, the labor participation rate moved up, but it's still down. I mean, we're still talking about substantially down, and nowhere we're not. You know, now we're nowhere near pre uh, pre pre COVID here. Uh, you know, again, I, I've, I've said all along um, that, uh, you know, every all these are backward-looking statistics. Uh, I think uh, really what's going to be important, um, and, and, and it's going to come on next few weeks, is the results of the Stage 3 trials on Pfizer and several of these other drugs. Um, I mean, I think they're coming out, and I think that, you know, that – that the development of the vaccine and and some of these other therapeutics that we're going to talk to are going to accelerate into the next two or three months, which will make this whole surge. It's the last surge. In fact, even Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner, who's, uh, I think, the very best person, much better than Fauci, in my opinion, in terms of interpreting everything that's going on, um, you know, said this is going to be a, a tough surge, but he said it looks like the last surge and uh and even with that the deaths are way lower than they were um uh in the first surge and may even be lower than second surge even though the number of reported cases is two to three times higher so you know we're, we're coming through the last one with that i think that's real important going forward uh for looking forward to the recovery in 2021 which as you know i expect uh, to be very uh, robust. Let me bring in uh, Brian Westbury just to get his first reactions to everything, and then we'll come back on some of the market reactions. But Brian, thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Markets. Great to have you back on the show. Hey, Jeremy. It's great to be with you. Yeah, and, good uh, to be with you, Brian. Both, both Jeremy's. So thank you for having me. What yeah, is so your? Brian, what do you think of what I said? Are you agree? Disagree? Let's have a let's have a good argument here. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I can't really have a big argument with you about that. I agree uh, with exactly what you said. I, I, I'm going to probably say it a little differently. Okay. Uh, I, I look at the uh, – I kind of back up sometimes in these election years and think about what the electorate as a whole, like a living being, like an amoeba or however you want to think of it, uh, is is really trying to tell us, and and I think with the the Senate staying red, the House uh, hopefully turning more red, <laughs> picking up about ten seats, and the White yes. House, you know, barely going uh, uh, blue to to Joe Biden. What right. the what the electorate is saying is, look, we don't want any radical change in government Absolutely. policy. And so I'm going to I'm going to uh, uh, paraphrase uh, uh, Professor Siegel here. You know, no Green New Deal, no Medicare for all, no major tax hike. No, we don't want any of that. However, and this this is where the White House comes in. We want a little peace and quiet. All right. Uh, we don't want tweets at 3 a.m. Um, uh, whether you want to blame the president for for the protest and the violence and the loot, you know, like it, it, it doesn't I'm, I'm not going to blame him because you have to blame the people that are you know throwing the lighting the match but but the bottom line is is that the people said we want some peace and quiet but we don't want radical change i think if the president would have had two debate number twos that that we would be looking at a different uh uh, uh result yeah. here today 
But well, isn't that what Lunch said, that the, the missed second debate was really important? Because he did much better in the third. The first was a disaster. Right. Um, but, you know, exactly. we can look back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and, what if, he, and if he would have had done, so I mean, listen, if he would have been a little bit thick, uh, uh, more flexible on COVID, he also could. I mean, there's a million things. You know, you talk about the straw that broke the camel's back. It was close. So you could talk to a million things. that If he could have done this and this and this and this. I mean, right. I, I love that. Yeah. When, when teams lose games, that's what they all said. Gee, you know, if he had just swung at this pitch or passed here, and, right. and yet that's only one of 50 things that could or could not happen. It did right. happen. And, I, and when injury, I just kind but, of back up and look at it all, is, yeah. you know, like for a, like your, your, that analogy is great. It's like if we just would have had better discipline and wouldn't have got as many yeah. penalties or something like that. Yeah. But the electorate is saying – Peace and quiet. And guess what? Yeah. That's really good for the market. That's uh, really, absolutely. really good. And and so that's where uh, we completely agree. Um, I I do th- I think you know the real the biggest loser in my opinion of this of the, uh, you could probably dig deeper uh, is the state of Illinois. You know uh, the the governor in the state of Illinois wanted a big tax hike. Yeah. Um, and he didn't get it. It lost. Uh, it's a constitutional change, 55 to 45, which is and that's just one of amazing. the bluest states around Illinois. Yeah. And then he also needed a blue Senate to get bailed out. Of course. And, and he didn't get that. But look, right. I mean, so the Americans, we're going to have a. I mean, first of all, they, they said, I don't like Trump as CEO. But, you know, hey, I, I like the Republican ideals. I mean, look at how much, you know, I mean, you know, uh, you know, voting for the Republicans for Senate at the same time, gaining the House. Who expected that? I mean, you take a look. I mean, even California, you know, voting for the gig economy, voting, you know, down affirmative action, which was is going to the Supreme Court. And even California doesn't want it. I mean, uh, uh yeah, I mean, this is this is absolute, and this is good for the market. This is what the market wants. You know, the right, courts exactly. are in, a, in a yeah, hold private property under the Trump yep. appointees um, and, and the rights of private property. There's going to be no radical wave. Now, we could all look forward to 2022, 2024, what is going to happen going forward. I mean, we, we, we might want to talk about that later, but at least for the next two years, and, and again, contingent on – the Republicans taking one of the two Senate seats in Georgia. And I, I think events are such that they will. Um, uh, uh, you, know, no, you know, very honestly, um, but uh, especially if the virus calmed down, vaccines come in, and, and, and I think a lot of those Georgia, first of all, I think a lot of Georgia GOP are not happy about losing the state of Georgia to Biden, and they're going to really rev up their forces and come on, guys. We may have lost the state of Georgia, but we we ain't losing our senators. And right, uh, right. And you know, if you look back in history, I know you know this. Uh, we all do. But just to remind everyone that that when there are special elections for the party uh, against the party that won the White House, because this happens, uh, it, it's not massive. It's not all the time, but it happens awesome often. Uh, that they typically go against the White House. So the Republicans have a very good shot at keeping both of those seats. And, I think and, both, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think both and, is very and, likely. In fact, uh, I just looked up the odds on the on the uh, uh, the Purdue-Ossoff uh, election. It's now 69% on that special, which is going to be a little harder because they have a really pretty charismatic guy in Warnock there. It's 64%. Uh, for Republicans, and uh, the uh, whole thing about either of one or two is 78 percent. So basically, they're saying anywhere from three to four to four to five. And I think as time goes on, that probably will increase. Um, but uh, again, you know, I mean, right. there, are, there are always can be surprises. Let, let me just right, and so we just have to, to uh, deal with that as it comes in. But right now, policy policy looks pretty stable, and and. You know, no major tax hikes, you know, no no major new regulatory changes. The Supreme Court is is not in danger of being packed 
No, so no. All that's but, good. And I think that's why the market has been so yeah. strong in the last couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let me just reintroduce our for the people in listening who we're talking to. We've got Brian Westbury, Chief uh, Comps at First Trust, Professor Siegel. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Let me ask both of you to comment on just the market reactions we had this week, where I certainly have you, a lot of different movements from technology stocks to the, what's happening in gold, silver, the dollar, Bitcoin, all sorts of just big moves around uh, the different asset classes. Uh, maybe Brian, starting with you, what, what was what's your sense of what happened in, and uh, and 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 the outlook for going forward? Yeah, just a, a really quick thing on Bitcoin and, and, and just inflation expectations. Uh, well, first of all, turmoil in the courts, et cetera, that's one thing that'll drive Bitcoin. The other thing is a, a, a reduction in the value of the dollar. And we're now going to have a stimulus bill, but that comes along with Fed money printing these days and, and, a, and a bigger deficit. So I think, I think there are a lot of people that are worried about inflation. On the on especially the big tech side, I mean the Nasdaq soared, and and what I would argue is that that it's almost like the lesser of two evils for for big tech. You know, on one hand, you might have had Senator Warren who wants to break them up like they're big monopolies. On the other hand, you have Senator Cruz who wants them to stop censoring, and I actually believe. That if, if, if these big tech companies were to, to, to stop censoring, let's say, I actually think they would be more valuable in the market. I, I actually, I think they're hurting their own value by, by, by stepping in and saying what they think is good and bad. That's not what people join for. And I think in the end, they're better off by leaving things more free. And and just in general, the market was down big last week. I'm not going to say it was because they expected a blue wave or a red wave, but they just didn't know what was going to happen. And now with divided government, um, markets, in a sense, like that, it's it's less change in the future. All the things that we've just talked about. But, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I think there was in high big tech. Yeah, I think there was a lot of, you know, I mean, last week there was a lot of put buying. I think a lot of hedge. I mean, when you saw the VIX at, at 40, I mean, my God. Uh, that shows you how much put buying there was because to widen the premiums that high. And, you know, when there's put buying, there's the offsetting uh, pressure on the market. And now, uh, you know, now that it, you know, there's, uh, I mean, you know, Trump will fight in the courts, but there's, you know, no chance. So, I mean, all, all you know, all that protracted, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's basically gone. Again, there's a little uncertainty on the Senate, but there's a feeling that that's there. I mean, um and 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 Trump lost decisively enough that you know I, I you know I I don't think his supporters are going to you know launch any riots I mean I'm not saying there's going to be no disturbances but a lot of fear I mean you know I live in a city I mean places were boarded up places were you know um some places had closed uh, I I think that they will be all reopening over the over the time um so I think that that uh, now those puts, you know, the pressure on the puts, and that's caused a lot of this uh, uh, basic uh, jump up uh, that we see here uh, on that. So uh, you know, and I agree with you. Uh, you know, uh, you know, basically on the tech side, uh, you know, one should you know remember that you know there's there's election every two years. Um, there actually are a number of uh, Republicans up in two years. Um, one of ours, Senator Tooney, is, who has been a Republican, has announced his resignation. So, you know, there, that, that'll be an open contested seat. Um, and actually, the Democrats don't have a lot of contested seats in 22. Um, but I, I, I think just the, the idea, we're, we're just not, we, we're not blue wave. The radicals on the Dem is not what America is about. Um, and it's, it's interesting to speculate you know, I often thought that if Trump had actually won, the left would have uh, could have taken over the Democratic Party. See, the public, you know, they they don't want moderates. We've got to give people like Bernie Sanders. Of course, it wouldn't be him, but uh, you know, any of the younger versions a chance. The fact that that Biden and could win, and the results of this show that the moderate wing of the Democratic Party, you know, still has life, which I think is very very good too. 
So, I mean, uh, you know, you're getting the moderates on both sides. Now, you know, what's going to happen with Trump? Is he going to run again in 24? <laughs> uh, I would not put it past him. And, uh, you know, well, that's going to be would, the interesting thing. What do, you, what do you think, Brian, about running again in 24? I, I think he will. Um, I, I I do not think he has gone from the political scene. I, you know, he did not. Uh, the polls were wrong. There was no blue wave. And I think it's, yeah. in, in a sense, it's a validation of his policies. I mean, one of the, the biggest loser, I think, is Illinois. One of my wor- biggest worries about uh, American policy in the world is what's now going to happen in the Middle East. Because we had four major – Saudi Arabia is on, on the edge of normalizing relations with Israel. And, and that should happen. And we, yeah. we want the world – should want that to happen, but it yeah. would, never would have happened under Biden Obama. Um, and so, 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 w- will Joe Biden go back to what he was doing foreign policy wise, or will he stay on this course? And yeah. so, uh, I think what Americans said is, look, if, if he may go to bed at nine o'clock every night, but at least we don't get tweets at three a.m. You know, yeah, and 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 I think that's part of what they said. You know, to go back to just last week and the put buying and the VIX. I always believed that this fear of a contested election and the uncertainty factor was was overblown. I mean, I, in, in other words, the market was overly too, worried about happened, a contested John. election. I, I agree with you, but I think it happened last week. No, I, I do agree. And it agree was unwound, I, as you said, this week. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought it was a buying opportunity. But let me kind of explain my my uh, this matters for the future, because because what I was saying is that in the middle of of that so-called worry about contested elections, we are going to have great earnings and we are going to have extremely low interest rates and earnings. Now, so far, S&P 500 companies, I, I believe, are beating in the 82 range for the third quarter. And we have, we basically have 0% short rates and 0.7% tenure. And that kind of environment is, is awesome for stocks. And, and eventually all the uncertainty goes away. You know, you mentioned a vaccine a couple of times that eventually uh, that the uncertainty, whether that comes or not will go away. You know, so, so, like I've always believed, like people overplay uncertainty, and and that if if they if they sell off the market or buy the market too much because of some fear or or overjoy, like if they get too greedy or too fearful, then then there's opportunities for investors who can pay attention to the fundamentals. And I always believe the fundamentals around the election for put put it aside for a second we're going to be really good for the market. And that's another reason, uh, Jeremy Schwartz, that, that, we, that we've seen this nice bounce, uh, bounce in stocks this week. Yeah, well, first of all, Brian, you're just uh, reiterating my thesis of stocks for the long run. <laughs> People, mm-hmm. you, know, are, you know, often overreact. And we all know, all the bear markets, America has come back from, what, 57 bear markets in its history, <laughs> it doesn't yeah, mean that's exactly. not going to happen again. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's sticking through those 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 tough times. Yeah, I mean that, and 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 that's 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 exactly true. I want your opinion on um, value growth in 2021. Um, right. Given the current situation, we recently had a. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a debate, but I led a, a kind of a, a mini conference online two weeks ago with uh, Mar- with uh, Mobius, uh, Cliff Asnes, um mm-hmm. and Joseph Lakanishak, uh, You know, value investors on on their opinion. What what is your opinion on 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 that going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say this relatively briefly uh, because it, I, I mean, I I think growth is. I mean, if you look at the outperformance of growth versus value, it's it's unprecedented. I can't yeah. rip you off all the numbers right away, but this and and it 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 will correct. But let me 
kind of simplify it, at least it's the way I look at it a little bit. And because of coronavirus, we would never have been able to operate as we have uh, without technology. If we this happened 25 years ago, I, I hate to think what would have happened to our world. Um, and and so I kind of look at all these tech stocks, which are the growth stocks, if you will. They've had six years of growth in six months. And, and I, you know, give me four years or eight years. I don't know what the number is, but you get my point. Oh, yeah. And and they've had and, and, and I don't think they're going to give that up. All right. But uh, that's why they performed so well. And 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 if you kind of look at this next few months, we get a vaccine, we get better therapeutics, the fear about COVID goes away, we don't get any major new uh, uh, regulations or or changes, massive tax hikes or anything like that. That's the perfect environment for value to catch up, uh, and and especially in an inflationary kind of environment where companies that have massive machinery that they've already bought and begun to depreciate are going to be able to sell goods uh, that at, at a higher price because of inflation, but with machinery that they were able to buy and, and book at a cheaper price. So I just look at that. I, I think value is going to improve. And and for, for all of those reasons, uncertainty will be out of the way. Make it a vaccine. You get a vaccine. Think about what happens to airlines at that point. You know, yeah. think about what happens to disc- consumer discretionary restaurants, theaters, uh, yep. cruise ships, all those things. They start coming back. And and I think we're going to have a uh, sort of a, a, a correction, if you will, uh, in the market. Not that tech and growth go down. But the value catches up. Yeah, I agree. Of course, now, when you mention cruise lines and airlines, and, and they will turn around, but there's like 1%, 2% of the market. I mean, I mean, right. uh, the problem is, is that, I mean, I could look at energy. What is energy now as a percent of the S&P? Down to 2. Oh. It's like it's a little bit over 2%. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, even if oil, I mean, discussing oil doesn't even matter. Um, right. I, I I like energy. I like financials. I like industrials. Yeah. Uh, right now, I really like them because they're cheap, cheap, cheap. Yeah, I think um, financials not only because I think long rates are going to go up, not short right away, but I think there is right. going to be inflation. Long rates are going to go up, and I think the loan loss reserves are going to be reversed. The worst fears of that, but. There, are, you know, we don't have a lot of time. How much time left do we have, uh, Jeremy? <laughs> Just a few more minutes at this first segment here. A couple more minutes, you said. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you're talking, I think when I look at what has changed permanently, and I agree with you, Brian, completely. I mean, uh, business travel, not leisure yep. travel, but business travel down, and commercial. Real estate, in other words, office space. Yep, yep. I think those are two, um, two anything areas else that, that you think. I mean, those are going to be permanently down. Yeah, I, I would, you know, I'm going to say medium term. Uh, so I get maybe we do have a little bit of disagreement here. I'm going to say medium term. I think about businesses. I think you can maintain a a good, a great business virtually. Okay, it's hard to grow it virtually, but you can maintain it. Um, But you certainly I don't think you can build a great business virtually. So I do think that at some point in our in in the future, we will get back to normal. It's sort of like it's not either or people were it's it's five days a week versus two days a week. Do I you know how many you you should be in the office two days a week. And (laughs) yeah, I. I think that's true, and I think we did have a surge in productivity early on. I, I think a lot, a lot of companies have seen a tail off in in that. Uh, and and you know, I, I mean, I'm not trying to play amateur psychologist here, but they, I'm I'm repeating some of the things I've heard that initially people were, you know, it was it was new and it was, uh, and they worked ten hours a day instead of seven, uh, but now they're down to six because. They found other things to do and the families at home and kids aren't back in school. And so 
So I, I can understand what you're saying, but I do think people like the camaraderie and the, the collective nature of thinking together that happens when, when, we're, when we're in the same room, so to speak. And I, and I do think we're going to get back to there. You know what? I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'll close and I'll let, I, 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 because I know we're almost done. I just got done reading uh, Ken Follett's prequel to The Pillars of the Earth. Pillars of the Earth is one of my favorite books. It takes place basically in the 10th, 11th, 12th century. Back then, people bathed twice a year. Like, I'm not talking about the kings and queens, but the, the peasants. They bathed twice a year. And guess what? We're all still here. All right. And so this idea that that somehow this this virus is going to wipe out the human race and change it forever. I don't buy it. Viruses have been around. The pandemics have been around for thousands. I mean, since the beginning of time. And and we we're now washing our hands 20 times a day, let alone, you know, compared to bathing twice a year. And so this this. The human race is going to be fine. People want to be normal. I do think we're going to get back to normal. Well, on that, that very positive note, Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, Professor Hugo, thanks for being with us for the show the whole hour today. Um, any place to find uh, your, your work there, Brian? How to, how to find, keep up yeah, with, with you your can you, you can go to uh, F, FTPLP. That's First Trust Portfolios uh, uh, Limited Partnership, LP. FirstTrustPortfolios.com and and find uh, our blog and all our research. I'm also on Twitter at uh, Westbury, at Westbury with no T. Very good. Thank you so much for joining. Let me just introduce John Zogby, the founder and senior partner at John Zogby Strategies. He's a pollster. I've uh, been doing this for four decades uh, and we're here to talk about the this current election where pollsters went wrong in his view. John, welcome to Behind the Markets. Thank you. Uh, good to be here. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit how you were handicapping polling the current election here and where you think people, if anything, uh, got things right, got things wrong. How, how's your read? Well, as far as my own polling was concerned, I had it a much closer race. In early October, down to a two-point race, Biden leading, and then uh, bump up uh, in the last week, uh, the Sunday before the election, it was actually 58 uh, percent Biden lead. We had Biden at 49 and then rounded uh, Trump at 43. So we did underestimate Trump, but we still had a much closer race. I never saw it as a double-digit race. And as I looked at a number of my colleagues, um, mainly those, uh, I'll call them in the New York and metro areas um, who are with the networks, and those who are with the universities, uh, I always saw a considerable oversampling of Democrats and a considerable undersampling of Republicans. This is not a new issue. This is something that I've noticed ever since I've been doing this very publicly uh, in the early 90s, that this has been kind of an endemic problem. But I think it was particularly acute this year and, uh, well, this is going to be a long answer. I'm happy to tell you why, but uh, any questions on what I've said so far? This is, uh, John, this is Jeremy Siegel. So, Hi. yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, uh, things and I should point lot. out, I'm a Democrat. So, okay. I, I'm, so it's not that I have any, any sort of partisan uh, yeah. edge to any of this. I just want to get yeah. them right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it, when you're when you're looking at what happened here, mm-hmm. um, uh, are you? I don't know if you also are you surprised that it looks very likely that the Republicans keep the Senate. Are you surprised at an actual gain in the House? I certainly didn't expect it. Although I don't follow the House races as closely as the, the Senate and the presidential. Um, what, what surprised you um, of the results that we, we have? Well, since I did not poll any state uh, in congressional races this year, I'm surprised because I had to rely on the polling that was out there. And um, unlike uh, 2016, where I'm prepared to defend 
the polls. I thought that they captured the trends and got things a whole lot closer uh, uh, then. This time around, they just blew it. And as I look back, I think it was the fact that they just simply missed a substantial Republican turnout. And I think there are reasons for it. I'm going to suggest a few. Um, The first is that we have finally come to the point where the telephone is almost useless Mm -hmm. as as a market research tool. Um, It's not only the technology, you know, these days, you know, 70% of your sample has to be by cell phone. The the response rates on, on cell phones are dismal, and they also prevent you from asking 40, 50, 60 questions to get into the heart and soul of who these people are that you're talking to. Um, you know, so for example, we don't just ask um, who you're going to vote for among the following candidates. We want to know a bit about you and about your uh, community and your demographics and what drives you and so on. So I think that's problem number but one. John, you're bringing up. Let me pause you here because this is always you're bringing up the very issue. When when someone calls me on a poll, I hang up. I, I don't care. I will not answer a poll. What is it in it for me? Um, why? And, you know, I'm, and I'm an older generation, but I hang up. And the younger generation hangs up if they don't know it. They'll never answer a poll. It doesn't mm-hmm. even matter on the cell phone anymore. The I mean, why would, why would anyone answer a Someone comes in and asks me for What is it in it for me to give them any mm-hmm. information? Well, I think that's a very good point. I go back to 1984 when everybody had a landline uh, where you could draw a good sample and when, believe it or not, socially and culturally, two out of three people who you got on the telephone said, sure, I'll do a survey. Um, Now the response rates are, you're lucky nationwide if they're 10 to 15 percent. Then you know what? They're going down. They'll be 5%. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why they're going down. Listen, it's not just polling for political. It's Mm -hmm. polling on consumer products, Mm -hmm. what you buy, what your attitude towards this, that. Those pollsters get $100 for everyone from the company. This is a marketing thing. So you say to yourself, why am I, you know, someone else is getting money because I'm providing information free to hell with that. And then you got the posters. Uh, you know, you don't know are they posters? Are they not really posters? This is going down. I mean, it, it is. You're, you're going to get the five polling industry is not in, dead. In, in, so what are you going to do? How do you going to get anything anymore? Uh, I'll tell you, we we have been researching and developing our online uh, polling and sampling now for 22 years. And we're now at a point where, in terms of online access, we are almost household-wise where we were with landline telephones 35, 40 years ago. In other words, there's almost, not quite, but almost universal penetration. Um, We find that the samples that we draw from pools of of emails have a better distribution in terms of demographics than telephone samples do. The response rates are better uh, on online samples. And I think most importantly, any of those sorts of issues that you worry about in terms of human-to-human interaction, like, oh, I'm embarrassed to tell that I'm for so-and-so, or I'm embarrassed to say that I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Those are the sorts of things that are done anonymously, on my own time, uh, Christmas Day, if I'd like, we'll do we'll do polling Christmas Day. There's enough people out there who uh, say, yeah, "Oh, they want to stay know, with the family the whole day. They'd rather go online." Well, <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth, actually. <laughs> but John, let me ask you a question. How do you? So, t- tell us how do you? How, what what media do you go to, and how do you motivate? these people to respond and uh i mean what what how, how do you do that first of all there are enough people out there tens of millions who truly want to share their experience and truly want to share 
um, what they think and actually feel important because somebody's contacting them. The, the trouble is, is the medium, that the telephone just doesn't work anymore no. No. for all the reasons that Jeremy pointed out, plus, plus some more. So the way we work, we're, we're working uh, from a pool of 15 million email addresses that are already representative of the American adult population. These have been collected. They've been validated. They've been uh, How were they collected, John? How did they you... were collected? Oh, no. Uh, they were collected uh, by a variety of means, not the least of which are taking banner ads and people who've signed up for insurance information or retail information or for coupons or so on. The important thing is that they've been – this is how we did it. They've been contacted. They've agreed that um, they will take surveys. We have contacted them, collected their data points uh, so that we know demographically who they are. And then we'll send them surveys uh, from time to time if they show up in the, in the random sampling. And we're constantly updating who they are so that we've built a pool now of um, of people that, that for whom we know the demographics. Um, generally speaking, no one ever takes more than two surveys in a given year. And if I need a, a sample of about 10,000 of these people, uh, out of which I'll get you know, 1,500 or 1,200 respondents, I'll draw a random sampling of those uh, 10,000, the same way I would get telephone numbers, only what I'm doing is I'm getting them from an already representative pool of American adults. Okay. Let's go back to the election, election and, and, uh, and I asked you what surprised you, and you said that you, you did feel it was way too over-democratic, and, uh, and, and certainly that is the case. Well, what, what surprised you about the vote that we just had, and what do you, what does that do you think that means for 2022 or even 2024? Well, I I I am surprised that the Democrats didn't win the Senate. I thought that they would. Again, I based my information on other people's polling. I was not surprised by the Republican surge. Uh, on election day because we've been talking about that we knew that there was a huge uh, a huge early vote uh, and that uh, you know about a hundred million or so voters who voted early so we knew that they'd voted early they leaned heavily Democrat in my polls uh, the, the 17 Biden had a 17 point advantage among early voters Trump had a 10 to 12 point advantage among election day voters. So we knew there would be a very large Republican turnout. Um, and then the battle would begin, uh, you know, no surprise at all. I mean, yeah, well, Trump so would, interesting would do well on election Trump day states, and then the vote. Uh, did the, did the uh, like I think Florida or some of the states did the, uh, the early mail-in first yeah. and then the others. And then, of course, some states like, like Pennsylvania – Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, didn't start even counting until like the next day or the evening. I lost, right? Yeah. And they and 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 I knew that. And and when someone told me, they said, "Do you see how red Pennsylvania, which is where I live?" I said, "Hey, just wait." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Trump had a seven hundred thousand vote advantage. Yeah. Um, so the I, issue, only I issue that was, was going to disappear, <laughs> and yeah. it did. It, we knew it was going to disappear. At what point would it disappear? Just below or just above? It's clearly looking like it's just above. Let me just reintroduce quickly. We're talking with John Zogby of of John Zogby Strategies, a pollster who's been looking at this data. Professor, just make sure people knew who we're talking to. Yeah, no, I'm glad glad that you you did. uh, So, John, what are you looking ahead? Do you have an opinion on? 2022, 2024, what this means for the parties. Um, uh, I mean, uh, what do you think this means for the parties? Is this well, is, is, uh, is, a very is, good question. I, look, I do believe that both parties are in serious trouble over the medium to long haul. Um, what I mean by that is that 
you know, about 40% of those who turned out were under 40. That is millennials and Gen Z. Their loyalty to political parties is uh, very low. Their loyalty to the Republican Party is even less uh, than low. And so I think uh, they also, the parties are structured hierarchically. Uh, these two age cohorts are not hierarchical at all. So premise number one is both parties are in trouble. Premise number two is we have to wait for events uh, uh, to, to play out to see which party becomes a dinosaur first. I mean, you'd have to look at the Republican Party and say, hey, it's all white, um, that it barely scratched the surface among blacks. It increased just a tad, really, among Latinos. Um, it has a very low presence among younger voters. Um, and by 2024, the millennials and Gen Z then are going to be almost 50% of, uh, of, of the electorate. So uh, the future of the political parties, I think, is dismal. I think you're going to see the Democratic Party do what it historically has done best, which is split uh, between progressives and moderates. Um, progressives are not going to be very happy with the uh, proposals that uh, um, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, you know, try to push through, and, and so this winning coalition—it looks like at this point a winning coalition—is, um, um, uh, you know, could be in some trouble. But with that said, I think the biggest thing we need to look for is Donald Trump. Uh, He's—he may be defeated ultimately, but he's not going away. And so long as he's around, he has the capacity to rev up a really alienated base. And we see how large that base can be. Uh, and Do you so think he's running think in 2024? Oh, I don't know if he'll run in 2024, but what I do know is that he'll be a, a large presence over his base and throw the entire legitimate political discourse uh, out the window. Well, but I think, no, I think he's got to run. I mean, I'm, I I think he will run. Uh, I'm not, you know, it's not 100%. And I think without, no, honestly, he, he has a strong thing. But if he's not running and he's not on that ticket or anything like that, it's it's, it's a different ball. It's a different ball game. I mean, look at, I mean, you're, you're the pollster. When you take a look at what happened in 2018 where, where the pollsters did pretty well, and uh, because I didn't have Trump on the ticket, and honestly, mm -hmm. even when you know, even when Trump went and 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 campaigned for a number of people, it's very questionable how much he really boosted them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think if he doesn't, I mean, he'll have a big presence, but yeah, you know, I, 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 it. it it's it's very very different now. If he's, he's if he's if he's running in twenty twenty four. Then there's a good question of whether there could be a moderate non-Trump Republican, which is basically, I think, what the electric electorate voted for. Not this, I, I mean, the, the key point here is that he sucks all the oxygen out of the room. And as long as he's in the room, then the entire political discourse is in some way... Um, what about a third uh, party, then? What about a third party? There is always a third party waiting to be formed. In this instance, it would be a centrist party. In fact, in this instance, it would actually be a second party because the, the Republican Party uh, will be in shambles. Uh, even though they won those congressional districts, um, uh, in terms of where the electorate is going, uh, where it's headed demographically, um, not ideological. But we were but, saying that two years ago, and for when Obama won, I heard, "Oh well, the Republicans are dead." Mm -hmm. I was hearing this before, John. This de this demographic shift, and we all did it. And then, oh my God! And, and didn't it's, Trump win the largest? Did Trump win the largest sort of minority, uh, not sort of non-white uh, segment in Republicans in sixty years, something like that? Yeah, he. I mean, he, he actually, Trump did notch it. Uh, a, a, a little bit better. And don't forget one other thing. You know, as you get older, you get more conservative. So, you're, you know, the young is always there, and, and they're, you say they're marching through. As they get a, the baby boomers are living longer, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going to be around. Uh, they moved to Florida, and there is uh, any you know Biden coming up with, hey, I'm going to raise your taxes. No way. Um, I mean, you know, there's there. I do agree with you, John, about there is that little march and that ebb, but you know. I mean, Trump seemed to. I, that's why I thought, you know, that uh, you know, I, I, I didn't. I was so surprised four years ago when, when Trump pulled it out. And I think it's, it's again, we saw a record turnout on the election, and even that is not a hundred percent. There are more you can pull out if you, if you need to. Um, but uh, I mean, I, you know, a moderate party. It's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, if if the, if centrists and the Republicans come together, and maybe in the Democrats, uh, uh, you know, there could be a huge shift. Um, it, it, maybe, it is interesting how polarized a lot of the, the next two to four are. years. Yeah, I think what folks are looking for uh, are, uh, you know, is some sort of. Um, consensus building decision making and we're not there we're far from that uh we're going to have to see how joe biden does i think his inclination is there and to be a pleaser but also to be able to uh you know put notches um on his gun uh, of having uh you know collected some legislative accomplishments but you know we'll just have to see how good his his skills are and what he brings I, mean, I said uh, no. early in the program before before you, he could get along better with Mitch McConnell than Donald Trump. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no, so he was the one who persuaded he, Mitch McConnell on a few occasions to not shut down the government. Yeah. So I and mean, in a way, you could get more done, and it'll be from the moderate wing because that's the only way it would get through a Republican Senate. I, I think more could be done. I think you can get an infrastructure bill. Now, through both of the parties have, have, have touted it, but uh, you know Trump so polarizes it that you know you know if it isn't just one way or the other, no one's going to get it through. Um, and to a great degree, in terms of congressional relations, uh, Barack Obama also, um, yes. you, you know, uh, created if not created divisions, certainly didn't heal any of them in his we're, relationships. We are going to have to. Uh, come to the end of our program. John Zogby from John Zogby Strategies of Polster. Really interesting uh, during this election. What are the le- lessons we could learn? Thank you so much for joining us to d- discuss uh, your work here, John. Thank you very much. Professor, thanks for staying with us for the whole show. Uh, you can listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to send in questions to Professor Siegel, you can email AskSiegel, S-I-E-G-E-L at wisdomtree.com. Uh, thanks to our producer, Patty Hall, Chris Toots, sound engineer. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 